welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm Darlene Marshall, and today I want to talk to you about the fun, fast, exciting world of movement and purpose. And I want to start just by noting, like, being a podcaster can be fun for lots of reasons. Uh, in addition to having wonderful people that I've met through doing the show, which you know, not for nothing, a cool perk of this job is, is very cool that I get to just reach out to people whose work I admire and use the show as an excuse to get them to come talk to me. Uh, so that's really fun. It's also really cool to see the way that the show continues to evolve and the themes change. And sometimes we'll try something new here and we'll see what happens. It's a little different. And then people tell you that they love it. So last month, we did an episode on movement snacks where we looked at a particular bit of research how it was done, and then how we can apply it as individuals and practitioners. And you guys loved it. I got a bunch of really fun feedback. You reached out. There's all different reasons. Uh, some of you loved it because it helped you better understand science in general and how research is done. Some of you liked having the really tangible, specific actions and behaviors that you could apply for yourself, for your clients. Um, and we also got to look at like some of the places that research might be getting things a bit wrong and how we can consider like filling those gaps or looking at things differently. And the feedback I got from you sounds like you want me to do more of those. So for this week's episode, I want to share with you one of my favorite studies from the last few years. So this study was published in April of 2021. And for me, it heralded and validated this broader shift that I think we're experiencing in the fitness and wellness space for how we're thinking differently about exercise in general. And it's about this relationship between purpose in life and our physical activity. So most of the time when people think about their reasons for exercise, they tend to think about one of three things, or maybe multiple of three things, but it kind of falls in three buckets. And this was something that I was taught as I was coming up as a trainer, that people exercise for either athletic performance, right? Like you're an athlete or you want to run a 5K, you've got some kind of you know, performance-based goals. The second reason is aesthetics. People want to affect how they look. And then the third would be their overall health. So like I said, the traditional fitness framing is that if you're going to start exercising, you're going to keep exercising, it's going to be for athletic performance, how you look or your health. Now, to me, I actually think that's missing two major components of why someone wants to move their body. Now, the first is mental health and overall well-being right? Talking about athletic performance, we're leaving out, say, something like cognitive performance. Talking about physical health, we're leaving out things like mental health. And of course, in the positive psychology space, we don't always, we don't only look at mitigating the negative, we look at adding the positive. And in this case, we can use movement for adding the positive. And the second miss, in my opinion, is fun, right? Sometimes we move because it's fun and we enjoy it. Dancing at weddings is my favorite example of this right? Still counts. It's physical activity, but I'm doing it because I like it. I'm working on a fun episode. We're going to get to that eventually, but the study we're going to look at in today's episode is focused on that other piece, that mental health and well-being piece. So positive psychology is a scientific study of human well-being. And for much of the history of positive psychology, it focused mostly on the cognitive, right? It makes sense. It's psychology. You're going to focus on how people think. Now, if you've listened to the episode on mind-body myth, 
or you've listened to the Embody Wellbeing episode, you know, I think that that is bogus, that we're going to talk about it like well-being isn't holistic, like it's just a cognitive process. And one of the reasons that I love this study is it's using science to show just how bogus that thinking actually is. So let's look at this study. The study is called The Bidirectional Relationship Between Sense of Purpose in Life and Physical Activity, a Longitudinal Study. And I'm going to throw this, my quick apology for name pronunciation, but we're going to try it. So it's by Isay Yimisigil, who's at the Human Flourishing Program at the Institute for, Qualitative, for Quantitative Social Science at Harvard University, and Evil Yaliev, who's at the Warwick Business School at the University of Warwick. And just like last time, we're going to start by breaking down the language and the title, because that allows us to understand what kind of study are we looking at. So the bidirectional relationship right, is how that title starts. That means that we're going to look at that the two things involved, right? Bi is the prefix for two, and that they influence one another. So they go both ways. Uh, and in this case, the bidirectional relationship is between purpose in life and physical activity. So the study is looking at that relationship. How does purpose in life and physical activity affect one another? Now, before this study, most people walking around probably aren't thinking that they have anything to do with one another. And so certainly when it came across my deck, it got my attention. And in a moment, we're going to dive deeper into these two core concepts, right? What do we know about purpose in life and physical activity and their relationship? But for now, let's finish looking at the title. So bidirectional relationship between sense of purpose in life and physical activity, a longitudinal study. So a longitudinal study is where you take a big old group of people, you collect a whole bunch of data, and then you keep checking back at regular intervals to collect the same data over and over. So then you can look at the relationships and the trends in those data points over a long time. So I could like collect data on 10,000 people and look at the mental health of those who are on TikTok and then I, versus the people who aren't. And then of the TikTok users, what's the mental health effect of the people who look at TikTok before they get out of bed versus the people who don't? And we could check back every two years and look for trends, right? That would be a longitudinal study. And in this case, we're looking at data points on exercise, purpose, and well-being, right? The bidirectional relationship between sense of purpose in life and physical activity, a longitudinal study. So you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlie Marshall. We're looking at this study about movement and purpose. So when we look at the study, we want to make sure first that we're on the same page about the core idea of any study. And so oftentimes in the introduction, it's written to help you, the reader, be on the same page as the researchers about what evidence already exists. And so in this case, we want to look at what do we already know about physical activity, purpose, and well-being. And what we already know, which you probably already know, is that physical activity is good for our mental health, our physical health, our life expectancy, like all that sort of stuff that people already kind of know, like, yeah, I should probably be moving my body. We also know that as people go through their lifespan, they move less often, right? Less and less volume, less and less quality of movement, most people. So research has also established that people with greater overall well-being tend to have better health outcomes, a greater lifespan. 
Now you might have also heard the phrase health span. This is that kind of cliche zingy, like it's not just the life in your years, but the, I did it backwards. It's not that the years in your life, but the life in your years, there we go. Um, but that's what health span's about. And so we know that people who have greater overall well-being tend to have fuller, richer lives longer into their lifespan. They have greater health span. Cool. Okay, well, research also has established that having a sense of purpose contributes to well-being and greater physical health because there have been other longitudinal studies that have shown that adults after middle age with a greater sense of purpose have reduced diseases, they have better mental health, they have greater lifespan, and they have longer health span, right? So when you've got um, well-being and greater physical health, you live longer, you're less sick, you have greater mental health. Sounds great, right? So here's the problem. There are not any documented interventions, which is what we call like activities that you're going to do or have somebody do in psychology as an intervention. There are not any interventions that have been proven to help people identify with, attach to, or develop a sense of purpose. So we know it's good for you, but we don't know how to get you one. And I'm going to go down a little tiny rabbit hole here because I think purpose research is really interesting. So early in your life, 20s, right? Early in your adulthood, I should say, it's the search for purpose that increases well-being. But once you get like through your 30s, you're into your midlife, there's this transition where it's having purpose that increases well-being. And I find it really interesting that it's not static for all adults, that it shifts over the course of lifespan. And I think it could also be really interesting to study if that age of transition is influenced by cultural norms. So like a hundred years ago, was it late adolescence that you searched for purpose because people didn't live as long? Or was it like the mid 20th century, the fifties, the sixties, was it after you had your children, but now we have our kids later. So how much is it skewed by things like the self-help industry or social media where we're seeing, I don't know about you, but the adolescents that I have worked with, I often find that they're really anxious about not knowing their purpose, but their kids go find it. So it's just food for thought. And I obviously it would require some big, big data sets and really long studies to figure it out, right? We'd need these huge longitudinal studies to find it. Um, the cool thing is that we're getting more and more of that data at scale. And maybe someday someone could design a study to figure this out. So that's the purpose side. We know it's really good for us. We don't know how to get it. The flip side is the physical activity piece. So one of the big challenges in physical activity in general is getting people to engage in physical activity and how people think about it. We know that how they think about themselves, their lives, physical activity in general, it has this big impact on their behavior and it makes sense, right? Belief and motivation are going to play a big role in what we choose to do and how we choose to spend our time. And so if we don't have a belief shift and a motivation shift, we're not going to see a shift in behavior. And we go down a big rabbit hole about that's why coaching is a really effective compared to other ways that we motivate people. But there have been studies in the past that have shown this correlation 
between sense of purpose and physical activity. So a correlation means that there's a relationship, but we don't have a sense of the direction, right? So correlation is two or more things are related, but we don't know causation. We don't know what causes one to the other. So this study, bidirectional relationship between sense of purpose and physical activity, a longitudinal study, looked at that relationship. They were looking for causation because we already had correlation. And how they go about it is pretty cool. So you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm Darlene Marshall. And today in our episode, we are looking at this study on movement and purpose. And the study used a big old data set called the HRS, Health and Retirement Study. So since 1992, every two years since, the HRS has been collecting data. And then every few years, they add another big old chunk of adults who were born later and later. So those adults are younger and younger. And that's so we can do this kind of longitudinal research, get these big data sets over time and continue backfeeding, right, younger people. There was also another big old data set they used called the MIDAS. That's the National Survey of Midlife Development in the U.S. That one is also measuring physical and psychological health. And they used it to give an expanded sample. Essentially from the HRS, they had some holes in the data set and they used the MIDAS to like backfill and make sure we had a more complete set of data to look at, right? So we're not just relying on one kind of measure. And together, that study included over 18,000 people, which if you listened to the Movement Snacks episode, one of my critiques of that study was how small the data set was, how few people were in the study. This does not have that problem. Um, and both study sets both data sets have been collecting measures of physical activity and purpose in life and then remeasuring those same things repeatedly so that we could look at the way these two things, purpose in life and physical activity, affect one another over time. And they took three time measures for each. Um, they use different time intervals, but essentially we've got time one is the way that a study would refer to the first measure time two and time three. That makes sense, right? We're going to just number them one, two, three. So let's look at what they found. If you listen to the episode on movement stacks, you know that when we're getting intimate with a study, we don't only want to just read the conclusion because the conclusion is going to tell us what the researchers think is important. We want to decide for ourselves what we think is important, right? If you read the movement stack, if you listen to the movement stacks episode, I talked about the researchers didn't mention that getting up every 30 minutes for five minutes actually puts us in a better mood. That seems to me the most relevant thing to put in the, day, in the, the conclusion, and it wasn't there. So in this case, we're going to look at the whole thing. And to start across the board, sense of purpose and physical activity decrease for the average person in the data set, right? So we take this big pool of 18,000 people, and for most of them, there's a step-down decrease of movement and purpose a long time. This is where I think it gets super cool. This is where I think it gets, starts to get neat. So these researchers, they're looking at purpose over time, and they see that the people who have a sense of purpose, they're increasing their physical activity across those three time horizons, right? So at time one, yes, you have a sense of purpose. Then time two, time three, more physical activity. Cool. Then they flip it the other way and they're like, okay, people who are exercising at time one, those people 
greater purpose at time two and time three. Okay, so for the average person, they're going down. But for our people who have purpose, they're already moving, it's going up. All right, so then we're gonna look at the relationship, right? So they're both going up, but is one path stronger, right? Because we're trying to look for causation, not just correlation. And the answer is no, they're the same strength. So movement, physical activity, and purpose are creating a positive feedback loop with each other, which I think one of the things I think is interesting about this study is nowhere in the study does it use the phrase upward spiral, which is the positive psychology word for this positive feedback loop. But this sounds an awful lot like upward spirals to me. But wait, there's more. <laughs> so then the researchers start asking in their data set, is there a threshold? right? Is there an amount of activity where we see it purpose really jump? Or is there an amount of purpose where we see activity really jump? And so what they did was they coded in their data. So the people who never get physical activity, don't go out their way to move more than they just need to, like puttering in their day-to-day -day lives, they labeled this a zero. And the people who are maybe going out for walks twice a month, or they're playing with their grandkids like twice a month, they that's twice. Once a week was four, okay? More than once a week, they labeled 10. Daily, they labeled 30 times a month. And what they found was as each amount of increase that they measured, they saw a corresponding increase in purpose of life. So the people who are moving more have more purpose. But of course, we want to look the other way. So what happens when you flip it the other way? And what they found was as you increase the measures of a sense of purpose, you also have a corresponding increase in movement activity. I think that that is incredible, right? So if you've got somebody who's not doing a whole lot of anything and you get them to just do a little bit of movement, they're gonna feel more purpose. Or, and I just, I just was teaching earlier today a workshop on this, not on this, I was teaching it on positive psychology. And somebody in the workshop, it was for a local seniors group, asked a question about the research, about motivation, about lifestyle change. She's like, yeah, how do you get people motivated to do this stuff? And I kind of jokingly was like, well, I don't, <laughs> I don't do anything. I help them find the motivation in themselves. But it, they were asking, how do I motivate myself to take better care of myself? And I used this purpose research. I said, if I can get you to anchor to what is most important in your life and why taking better care of yourself matters to that thing, you'll do it yourself. So that's what this research is showing, that if you can get, whether it's yourself or your clients, to bump up that sense of purpose and meaning in the self-care behaviors, you're going to increase the volume that you do it. Super cool to me. You're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm Darlene Marshall. We're looking at a study on movement and purpose. And so I wanna give a few caveats to this data. So the first, and this is a very common criticism of positive psychology in general, which is the idea that the effect size, so the amount of change is small, that the effect size in this study is small, but significant. But I want you to consider for a moment what I said at the very beginning, the average person in the data set, most people in the data set actually saw a decrease in purpose and activity over time. So those people who are getting an increase, 
even though it is a small effect size, most people are getting less. The purpose activity feedback loop people are getting more. So I call that a win if you're bucking a trend that's down. The other big caveat is this is a self-report study. So it means that we're relying on people to tell us what's up with them. And that's not necessarily the most accurate, but it's the best we've got right now. And purpose in life is always going to be subjective, right? I can't tell you objectively whether or not you have a sense of purpose. I might say, I think you do based off your behavior, but it's always going to be self-report. So I don't know that that's as big of a dig as we might say, like, you know, it's not, it's not chemistry. It's not geology. It's not going to be this like clean cut measurable because it's your subjective experience of your life. So, you know, I, I've said before, I always like to end episodes like this with these tangible application pieces, right? The point of this show is that you can learn important science-backed tools that you then get to apply to your life or the life of the people that you serve. And I think there's three groups of people that this information is really important to. The first one is movement professionals. So these would be fitness professionals, group fitness instructors, physical therapists, personal trainers, you get the idea. And it is remarkably difficult to get people to consistently exercise in their adulthood, especially their later adulthood, if they have not before. And I mentioned that earlier in this episode, but I really want to drive this home. Studies of gym membership show that in any general population, on average, about 18% of whatever community you're, me you're measuring has a gym membership. And whether we're talking about like a new gym opens and they're trying to get more members, what they're actually doing is just stealing people, the 18% from the other gyms. Most of the time, just having a new gym open or some promotional deal, you're not really chipping away that 18%. And that's because it's really difficult to get people to exercise. And so one of the things I love about this study is it's not an exercise study. It's a physical activity study. So if you're a movement professional and you want to help people move more, find out what matters most to them in their lives and then why movement's going to help them show up better for that. And I'm going to give you a perfect example from one of my own clients over the last few years. His client is in her 60s. At the time we started struggling with depression, an elevated A1C, which is the measure of uh, diabetes and high blood pressure, some orthopedic issues, sedentary, isolated after the COVID years. She's a grandmother and a really exceptional grandmother. One of those grandmothers where it's a really big part of their identity. They're passionate about the children in their lives. Now, at first, I just wanted to get her to go for a morning walk. Um, I wanted to prime the upward spiral effect. I wanted to get her a shift in mindset at the start of the day. And I was trying to prime that upward spiral pump. But in the first few weeks, I couldn't get her there. So we had a co coaching conversation about what matters most in her life. And at the time, her whole family was going through this really hard time. I mean, really, really hard. The kind of stories that break your heart when you hear about a family going through this kind of like loss and grief. And we talked about resilience. We talked about what it meant to show up for the children of this family and what they were going through. And essentially I asked her, who do you want to be for them? Not just right now in this moment, but 
in 10 or 15 years when they hit the age of understanding and they have to reconcile the trauma that they were going through in that moment. Now, it might sound like a stretch to some people to think that going for a morning walk right now has anything to do with supporting adolescents 10 years from now to being a good caregiver a decade from now. But what she does now about her A1C, her blood pressure, her movement habit, her mental health is going to affect how high functioning she could be for them in the rest of her health span, her lifespan. And I asked her, who do you want to be? And we had this really frank conversation. And essentially, that's a purpose conversation. I'm asking her, what do you think your purpose is in the next 10 years in the role of your family? So guess what? Happy ending. She goes for walks now. She's had the orthopedic surgeries that she needed and invested very actively in the physical therapy that she needed to do to get back to resilience. And she's going to start personal training at the end of the summer when she's done with her last round of PT to build up the strength after rehabbing the surgery. She changed her nutrition. Her A1C is down. Her blood pressure is normal. All of that happened because we changed the way she was thinking about the motivation of purpose in the role of how she was taking care of yourself. And it has to start somewhere. It has to start where people are right now. So if you're a fitness professional, if you're a movement professional, you're anchoring to what actually matters. And then how do you shift that belief and motivation? That's how coaching really works. So that's what I think the first group around this research would be movement professionals and how we use this body of knowledge to motivate our clients is by leveraging meaning and purpose in their lives by asking them what's most important in their lives. So I said there were three groups. That's the first group. The second group of application, I think is well-being people. It's the positive psychology practitioners. It's the wellness coaches. If you listen to the episode on embodied well-being, I talk about the history of positive psychology and how it started as a very mental discipline that well-being practice has a lag on the physical side because of psychology. And I mentioned before in this episode, there aren't documented interventions for finding purpose, even though we know that having purpose influences well-being and all the benefits of increasing well-being. So if you're a positive psychology practitioner with a client who is languishing, they're trying to build happiness and they're not getting regular physical activity, here's some evidence that who they want to be when they grow up will be directly impacted by how they treat their bodies, not just their physical health, but their overall well-being. And lastly, this last group, and I say this kind of jokingly, but not really jokingly, it's everybody, all of us, you're probably interested in the sense of purpose and meaning and calling and mission and how we care about ourselves because you're listening to this show. And I think all of us at some point struggle with the motivation to take care of ourselves in this way. So if you're someone who struggles with, ex with exercise motivation in general, now you've got two levers. Tie it to your sense of purpose that you've already got right? If you're a person who has a sense of purpose and mission and calling, how does your movement practice in service of that? Or if you're a person who doesn't have 
mission and purpose and calling. And I'm thinking of someone very specific in my life that I had a conversation with this morning. I know you're listening to this episode. I'm talking to you right now. Um, You can use your movement practice to shift your cognition, to shift your relationship with yourself and build a sense of purpose and meaning and calling. And we don't yet know why it works. I have some theories, but we don't know why because we haven't tested it yet. And that would be a really cool horizon for us to continue to study as this relationship of physical practice and self-care directly impacting well-being. This is, to me, a very emergent edge where these two fields of well-being and fitness are merging together. And it's very exciting to me. Okay, last on the docket for today's episode, I want to talk about two ways that you can support the show and also grow yourself. So the first If you hear me talking about coaching and helping people and how to use these tools and science and evidence-based practice and all of that, and you're like, yeah, that's who I want to be when I grow up. Uh, Well, I'm going to strongly encourage you to check out NASM's Certified Wellness Coaching course. If you're already a positive psychology practitioner, when I talk about the disconnect in education and application of physical practice and you think, oh yeah, I wish I knew more, that's how you could find out more. If you are a fitness professional, and I'm over here talking about coaching skills and facilitating conversations about meaning, that's how you could go learn those coaching skills. So if you want more information about NASM's Certified Wellness Coaching course, go over to nasm.org, click wellness at the top, and if you decide that you're going to take the course, I can give you a $600 off discount code. Get a pen. Ready? Here we go. Marshall CWC, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-C-W-C. You're going to need that at checkout or if you do it over the phone, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-C-W-C, $600 off at checkout. Okay. The other thing that might interest you is to check out the More Better Substack. That's at betterthanfine.substack.com. And there you're going to find additional practices, resources. There's bonus episodes of the show. There's workbooks that I've created um, that are available to paid subscribers. So if you are a fan of my work, you want to support my work, you can do it there. Betterthanfine.substack.com. You don't have to be a paid subscriber. There's plenty of free stuff. But if you want to be a paid subscriber, there's also plenty of swag. Um, And of course, I would love to hear any feedback that you have on the episode. So you can email me. It's info at darlene.coach. You can find me on Instagram or now at threads uh, at darlene.coach. I'm also on LinkedIn. Of course, if you've got any feedback, DMing me is a great way to get a hold of me. And if you're a fan of the show, I hope that you've subscribed. Thank you to everyone who's written us a review. If you haven't, maybe you could write us a review too, because that's how we all gain the algorithm together. Of course, if you share the show, tag me in it. Thank you all. Be well and have some beautiful, purposeful movement this week on me.